0: You know, I was thinking about Sister Leela. and um, just so she's not the only one that everybody knows struggles with wanting to hurt somebody, I'm, I want you to pretend this is the high road and that's the low road, and on a good day, you can kind of throw your shoulders back and take the high road, feel real good about yourself, and now everybody won't know what this means, but... The women will, from the South anyway. When somebody's in trouble, you take your shoes off because you can't run as fast in heels. And you're not only going to run at them, but you're going to throw your shoes while you're going. And there are days when I'm running at the low road. I just can't wait to get there because I'm going to make a low road statement. And the Lord will say to me, Rachel, put your shoes on. So when you're having a low road day and you know it's going to be bad, you're going to make a bad decision, just keep your shoes on. It does help. Because there's days you wake up and you just want to take the low road. Anyway, that's not what I'm preaching about. But I couldn't help it because I have chased people with my shoes off before. I know that's hard to imagine. We're going to start off with the game for our... Resurrection Sunday festivities, festivities, and I was trying to think of who I need to volunteer myself, and I was thinking I would love it if Brother Matt and Sister Samantha would mind helping me. I was, ch- that, you who, that one, yeah, and Brother Matt, if you wouldn't mind coming to help me. I was trying to think of somebody that might have a little competitiveness in them. I thought, you know. No, but I was trying to think of a non-Beardsley that might be a little competitive. So you're great. This is an easy game. You can each stand on one side. It's all about who can catch the most fish. One hand behind your back, and we're going to turn it on, and then you just plop your fish out on the table. If they fall on the floor, don't stop to get them, and let's see first who can win. It's not as easy as it looks. Did I pick two lefties? Oh, that's good. Yeah, you got to catch them. You got to get them and fling them out of there. Fling them out. They probably won't break. Yeah, fling them out of there. There you go. Jerk them, yank them. It's harder to do in front of a whole church full of people. That's what it is. They look so cute, and you see the little kids playing this, and it takes them like 30 seconds, and I'm like, oh, I can do that. And then, there we go. <laughs> look, look, somebody knows, somebody fishes in real life. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Oh, there we go, there we go. Okay, now don't go anywhere, don't go anywhere. We're going to reload. We're going to reload. That I think Samantha won that one. Okay, we're going to reload, and we're going we're gonna to make some skill happen here. Okay, here's the new rules. First of all, you each get to pick a fork that you think is the strongest fork. Pick which fork you think is the best, strongest, most stable fork, so you can't blame me for giving you a weak fork. All right, once you get your fork picked... Is this your fork? That's my fork. Did I take the right fork? When you picked? Okay. I just grabbed a fork, didn't even think about it. Okay. This is your fork. Now whichever hand you don't fish with, you get to hold the plate. you have to balance this ball on the plate with that hand while you fish with the other hand. And you can't hold it close to your body. You have to, whichever hand which hand do you fish with? This hand. So this hand has to go like this. Okay? Now, you'll notice you may end up having to support the plate a little bit with your thumb just because of the ball. If you drop your ball, you have to stop fishing and go pick it up and put it back on the plate. Okay? All right? Okay, you ready? Watch that ball. You may have to support with your thumb just a little bit. All right? You ready? Go. Go. Keep that hand out. Don't pull that plate close. Keep the hand away from you. What? I couldn't even do this at home. Woo! You're not Yeah, hold those arms out a little further. I was holding my arm out further. Hold your arms out a little further. You're making this look way too easy. Hey, back yeah, but they're both difficult. Oh, this is terrible. I shouldn't have given you any hints. <laughs> <laughs> Hold that arm out, Matt. You're too close to your body. Scoot it out there a little bit. You can't, you don't need to be able to see the plate with your other eye. Maybe you'll have good peripheral vision. <laughs> well, they're doing way too good for my example. I might have to come up with a different example. Alright. Look, y'all didn't even drop a ball. How sad. All right, that was way too easy of well, what we're going to do. I should have picked people that weren't quite as competitive. All right, there we go. Thank you to our fishers. All right. Well, they were supposed to drop the ball at least once. I dropped it about 13 times. So you'll have to think, you'll have to think about me when you think about this because they were too good. It doesn't look like anything. It just looks like Rachel chasing a ball around a room. (laughs) That's that's what it is. It's Rachel holding the plate and then dropping the ball. They did very good. Uh, So, we'll just not use them as much of an example. Let's pretend that Evelyn and Dinah were playing. (laughs) No, y'all did a really good job. Way better than I thought. Tonight, we're going to do a little bit of a slow reading of John. This morning... uh, Brother Faubert started reading my scripture for passage for tonight, night. I was like, no, stop. (laughs) But he didn't preach what I was going to talk about. So anyway, in John chapter 21, verse 1, this is right after the resurrection. Jesus has risen from the dead. It has been celebrated. Everyone's excited. And then I think the excitement starts to wear off a little bit. Jesus is busy. And it says, later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was caught, who he was He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied, we don't have math and Samantha with us. That's the Rachel version. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciples Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. "'Bring some of the fish you've caught,' Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. "'Now come and have breakfast,' Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, "'Who are you?' They knew it was the Lord." Then Jesus served the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. We've had, I believe my husband a few weeks ago spoke on this, the second half of this chapter. He talked about Jesus as a king. Today, brother Rush talked. Brother, brother Russ spoke. um, Some out of this chapter talking about the God who asks questions, but He already knows the answer. And Jesus is a King, and Jesus, God asks questions. But I want to go back just a little bit before He shows Himself and asks that question as King. Jesus has been resurrected, but He's different. They were super excited Jesus was a lie. But at the garden, as we heard this morning, Mary didn't know who he was. She thought he was a gardener. Thomas said, Prove to me you're Jesus. Why would they need proof if they had spent all that time with him? Did he look different? Was there something about him different? Had his, had his physical likeness changed a little bit? There was something different about Jesus that even here, John says it's Jesus, and the others are like, we know it's him. But then why would it say they didn't dare ask, who are you? Because they knew it was him, but there was something different about Jesus. Jesus that died on the cross was not the same Jesus in some aspects that raised from the grave. It was Jesus. It is God. All of these things, they know this, but there's something different about him that's throwing the disciples off a little bit. He's, um, for one, he disappears <laughs> randomly. Um, he used to disappear before he was crucified, but he would go into the mountains for 40 days or he would go into town to shop, but he wasn't in the room and then gone. He also didn't just enter the room without coming using the door. So he's no longer bound by the laws of physics and he's possibly slightly in appearance. The rules have changed. And in the face of uncertainty, the disciples' natural instinct is to go back to the familiar and the comfortable. So, this Jesus is different. We're excited. He rose from the grave. These are wonderful things. And then they're like, oh, did he just do that? You know, I made him dinner and now he's gone. Boom. And he doesn't come back. Or maybe you didn't make him dinner and boom, he showed up and could he just like let us know what he's doing? <laughs> he just appears and leaves. This Jesus is very unpredictable. The disciples have been with their Messiah for, I believe it was three years. Am I right? I forgot to ask my husband. They, they were with Jesus for three years, right? Before he was crucified. Got a little bit more than three years. I meant to double check that before. But So they're with him. They know him. They've learned his patterns. He's their teacher. He's their mentor. They learn and slowly begin to realize he's the Messiah. When he said, Follow me, they travel together. They lived, you learn things about people when you're with them all the time. They don't always have to say what they want, you just kind of know you can figure things out. So now they're excited the Messiah has risen, and he doesn't act the same. Something's wrong. His quirks are off. He's not like them anymore. Even though he was the Messiah, he was still so many ways like them. But now if he walks through a wall, they're going to have trouble following. When Jesus said, follow me, take, you know, take up your nets, follow me, la, 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 they followed along. Now Jesus doesn't say, follow me. He just disappears and reappears. So you've got disciples that spent three years learning, obeying, and trusting Jesus to take care of any issue that arose, and now things are different. Three years of miracles, excitement, intimate friendship and conversation, and then the stunning events that culminated in the death of their Messiah, mentor and friend. And then while they're processing the disappointment, the fear, abandonment issues, anger, confusion, and all the other emotions that come with a loss like that, he raises himself from the dead. And then he begins appearing for periods of time and vanishing. This is before the Holy Spirit's come. I would be confused. I'd be like, I don't think I can follow you right now. Until you figure out what you're going to do. Because if you're either going to knock off all the Romans, and we're all going to reign together, or I'm going fishing. Because I have to eat. And I can't walk through walls and just pick up a meal whenever I'm in the mood. You know? So they've got a situation here. They have a whole new feel. You have a glorious, wonderful event, but then you have new rules, unexpected results, and an uncertain future. What should the disciples do? For us, in retrospect, we know the Holy Ghost is gonna be outpoured. We know what's gonna happen. They didn't know anything except they had been through a traumatic event, and now everything is different, and they don't know what's gonna happen. So they went fishing. Because that's what they knew. They had to eat. Jesus isn't there breaking out loaves and fishes and feeding everybody. He's not turning any stones into bread if he's in the mood or you know, making some Chick-fil-A and honey mustard flow out of this rock if they're out in the middle of nowhere for a while. They have to do something. So they have to eat and they go fishing. So we're going to read through John 21 one more time. With this in mind thinking about disciples that are probably very confused because they didn't, even Scripture says they really didn't understand what was going on. And Scripture also tells us that with the infilling of the Holy Spirit and more teaching from Jesus, their understanding came. But I think they're in a place of confusion. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. What else is there to do? Jesus hasn't showed up in a while. A few days, let's just go fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they called nothing all night. I think it's important to stop here and notice that, again, even though Peter just died Jesus, he was separated from the disciples, when he gets back together, he comes up with an idea, and a good chunk of them just, oh, we'll do what Peter's doing. Peter was a natural leader, even with huge mistakes in his past. He was a natural leader that they willingly said, well, might as well go fishing with Peter. And I think that's important later in the text. So they went out in the boat, But they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciples Jesus loved said, the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting on them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. "'Bring some of the fish you've just caught,' Jesus said. So Simon Peter, again, he seems to be leading what's happening here, went aboard and dragged the net to the shore." There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. What made them feel that they needed to ask, who are you? Or did they feel that? Why is that question, I don't know why that question is put in the scripture, but the author felt that it was important to state that they knew it was the Lord, and so none of them dared ask him. Why would he put that in there if there wasn't some type of just not quite sure what's going on here? Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. This is only their third time to see him. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus appears on the shore and makes breakfast for his disciples. Even though he already has breakfast made, he knows they've been out all night long fishing, and he provides a miracle for them. Did they need that fish? Maybe they had bills to pay. Maybe something was going on. But Jesus already had fish for them, ready, without them needing to fish. Even with the uncertainty of this resurrected Jesus, we still see that the disciples are excited to see him. They may be uncertain, but they're still happy he's alive. They may be uncertain, but they're still excited to be with him. We also see that Jesus does not condemn them for fishing, but presents Peter with a new task, one that replaces his fishing in the sea. Again, Peter seems like the natural leader here. So When I read this, I think, well, he's speaking to Peter, but he's also asking this of the other disciples. You see later that he's the other disciples again follow in the steps of what Jesus has asked Peter to do. I just gotta find my spot. I'm not used to a a computer. Remember, it was Peter's idea to go fishing, and others follows followed. Peter is still. A leader, And Jesus needs Peter and the disciples to make a choice. He's about to make the kingly demand we heard about a couple weeks ago. He's going to say, feed my sheep. Doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. I'm telling you to feed my sheep. This was a command. This wasn't a, would you please feed my sheep? If you have time in your fishing, could you maybe just tell somebody about me? Maybe just wasted the passing boat. Jesus! No. He says, you need to focus on feeding my sheep. Now we're going to read Matthew 6, chapter 24 through 33. This is Jesus speaking. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. These thoughts dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Peter and the disciples were not unbelievers. They may not have known what was going on, but they were believers. They were sold. They had bought into this thing. And yet, when they were in times of uncertainty, they went back to what they knew. What was comfortable? What did they begin to worry about? How are we going to eat? Jesus is gone. I'm sure they had taxes to pay. Bills to pay, things to take care of. So they naturally went back to I need to take care of survival. I got to survive. I'm not sure what's going on, so I got to take care of surviving. Jesus said, You cannot serve two masters. And he was reiterating this in his conversation to Peter. He was telling Peter, I need you to focus on my kingdom. I know you like to fish but I need you to focus on my kingdom. Jesus had previously called disciples and said, can you be fishers of men? I'm going to make you fishers of men. And have they forgotten that or are they just not quite sure how to go about it? But Jesus is drawing the line. He's saying, feed my sheep. And he exemplified to them by feeding them breakfast. You cannot worry about money and provision and truly focus on God's kingdom because either money money Will influence your decisions for the kingdom or the kingdom will influence your decisions with money. And Jesus is telling Peter, I'm drawing a line. You can feed my sheep and trust me to take care of other things or you're just going to have to fish and not worry about my kingdom. And he drew this line. But what did he do before he drew this line? What did he do before he said... Feed my sheep, and you're going to die doing it. What did he do? He cooked them breakfast. He showed up on the shore when they were tired and exhausted from their surviving. They had exhausted themselves trying to survive. And Jesus says, hey, guys, i got breakfast. I've got something for you here. Again, he didn't condemn them for fishing. He didn't. He didn't, there was no condemnation in fishing. He didn't say, you're not working in my kingdom. You're working out there, catching fish. Well, not catching fish till I came along, <laughs> spinning your wheels. There was no condemnation, but he gave them an example. One thing must be master, money or the kingdom of God. That's the example given. Peter had to choose between fishing for income or feeding sheep for the kingdom. Now, I was gonna have this great example of how you can't fish and hold a plate with a fork and a ball at the same time without getting distracted in the chasing a ball. But obviously, I chose poorly. But I think Matt even fished better while holding the fork. So we're just gonna throw that out. That doesn't matter. Bad example. You can do two things at once, I guess. But you can't. Focus fully on the kingdom of God and worry about provision. You have to focus on one or the other. doesn't mean you can't focus on provision and still live for Jesus. You know, it doesn't mean you can't focus on the kingdom and still work a job and provide for your family. But it does mean you have to have your focus in one place or the other to do what God's asking you to do. To be a leader, you have to choose your focus. When we come into the kingdom of God and, and we get we begin our relationship with God and there's miracles and wonders and God is changing us and he's our friend and our mentor and he's all these amazing things that, that we've never even believed could happen and God does all of this work in our life and it's great. And then sometimes later, God begins calling you to be a leader and something happens and he doesn't run to your rescue. You're like, whoa. Who is this Jesus? It's a different Jesus. He acts a little different. He treats you a little different. Something hits you upside the head that wonder, you had a shield there. You had some protection. And something smacks you. And God's like, oh, I'm training you. You're like, well, I'll take the other PE class. I'm going to train in maybe knitting, not volleyball where stuff's constantly smacking me in the face. And God's like, I'm trying to teach you to get your hands up. I'm training you. And so the Jesus that the disciples had been with was a Jesus that was mentoring and training them and loving them and teaching them to be his followers. And now he's saying, okay, leaders, I'm not going to be here anymore. You get to be a leader. You have to choose. What are you going to focus on? My kingdom or yours? As uh, Pastor Stephen mentioned, being a leader will cost you something. Unfortunately, the kingdom needs more focus than owning your own jet. Because I would love to own my own jet. With like glasses, with little tinkling, you know, flying along and drinking and eating your chocolate. And yeah, I have put a a little bit of salt into owning my own jet and how it would be decorated. Those kind of things are just awesome. But God hasn't asked, he's saying you have to focus on the kingdom. Not your own desires. But again, I'm not re preaching my husband's message about a commanding king. I'm talking about what he does before that. God knows you being a leader will cost you something. So he's trying to get you to understand that he will take care of breakfast. When you're a leader and God asks you to do something and he says, This is going to cost you, he's also saying, I don't need you worrying about breakfast and provision. I don't need you fishing anymore. I've got that. I can take care of you and you will be clothed better than Solomon. All of this can happen. If you will just focus on my kingdom, I will take care of your needs. Jesus wants to make you breakfast. Okay, so Asher has a few things to pass out. We're going to have two different kinds um, and then Dinah's going to help him, and then maybe Cassandra, if you wouldn't mind. So the blue fish go to the adults, the pretty cute little fish go to the kids. So come on, Dinah, come on, Cassandra, he's got them right here, I'm going to pass him out. You know, I have to have handouts. It's, um, what I want you to do when you get this, is I want you, you don't have to write on it right now, but I, I want you to write down something that worries you. Something that takes your focus from the kingdom of God. Something that that presses on you. And you don't. if you don't feel comfortable writing it out, write code so you'll know what it is in case someone finds your fish. I'm, I'm, I'm all like, if you write it down, somebody else is going to read it. So write in code if you need to. But on the other side, if you have to think about it, on the other side, I want you to write Jesus will take care of breakfast. So on one side, I want you to write down, Jesus will take care of breakfast. And on the other side, I want you to write down something that you worry about, that distracts you from the kingdom, something that weighs on you, something that's pressing on you. Seasons of life have different worries the things that I worried about 7 years ago aren't the things I necessarily worry about today. But I will guarantee you 80% of it comes down to money. <laughs> Whether it's, you know, goes from how much how am I going to pay for having kids, how am I going to pay for a car, how am I going to pay for a house, how am I going to pay for groceries to how am I going to pay for these medical bills for this body that doesn't act right. How am I going to pay for Retirement, how am I, so all of these things come and much of it has to do with money. Well, yeah, there's other things we worry about, but something you worry about that distracts you from the kingdom. And then on the other side, I want you to write down, Jesus will take care of breakfast. My husband, I was gonna say, Jesus is cooking dinner, but my husband pointed out to me, he didn't feed them dinner. (laughs) He fed them breakfast. So I was glad I kind of had him read that scripture. Jesus will take care of breakfast. Our needs are simple for him. And I think Jesus was pointing that out to the disciples before he asked them to choose. They fished all night long and they caught nothing. And then he said, throw your nets on the other side. And he provided what we would say is a miracle. Why did Jesus provide a miracle? of 153 fish when he had already cooked breakfast. If he already had what they needed, why did he provide a miracle? I would postulate that most times we don't need a financial miracle. When we pray, I need a financial miracle, I need God, I need a financial miracle, I need this miracle. What we need is to see what God's going to do. He's already provided He's already on the shore with breakfast. We just don't know it. He's already got our provision set aside. He said, I'm going to take care of your food and your clothing. I'm going to provide for you. And so when we're praying for a financial miracle, we're saying, God, I need to see what you're going to do. And many times he does perform what we say is a miracle to build our faith. But breakfast is already made. He's already got it taken care of. He's already got your provision. He's already got the money for that bill. He's already taken care of a situation. You may think you're gonna have to pay a bunch of money for something. He's like, well, I'll just heal this and take care of that. And then you don't even have to have that surgery. God knows what's coming and we don't. We are in a place as leaders where the disciples were. We don't know how Jesus is gonna do it. So we get nervous. We don't know what he's gonna do. So we get nervous. And so before Jesus ever says, feed my sheep, this is going to cost you your life, he says, let me feed you breakfast and give you a miracle of fish so that you can know I've got you taken care of. And he's saying the same thing to us. The miracles are to build our faith, not to supply because there was no provision available. God didn't have to perform a miracle because he didn't have provision. He performed a miracle so we would testify about it and build our faith in others. The miracles affirm to us that Jesus is really present. After they pulled all the fish in, you can see John squinting and being like, It's Jesus! <laughs> oh, faith! Look at this miracle! And Jesus is like, I got breakfast over here. Come eat. He wants us to know He hasn't abandoned us and that He's got all things in control. While we're praying for a miracle, He's standing on the shore with breakfast ready. There's a lot of things that God will ask of us as leaders, and there's some things He won't. I think many times I will worry more about what He's going to ask of me than what He actually asks of me. But tonight, when we, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus today. And now, we're done with our celebrating. We're done with whatever we do and we eat, whether we celebrate big or we just are thankful and acknowledge that Jesus rose from the grave. Now, we can find our place where the disciples were. We love Jesus. We are thankful for what he's done in our lives. We have, we have faith in him and we believe in him, but we still don't understand what's happening. And tonight, I just want to remind you that Jesus is fixing breakfast. And you may not know what's going on and you may not know why is God asking something of me? Why is this costing me something? And you're overcome with worry and fear and doubt. And is he really going to come through? like he said he would. And Jesus is saying, I've got breakfast ready for you, and I gave you a bunch of extra fish just to prove to you it's really me, not because I couldn't take care of it. But he resurrected from the grave, and when we come down off the high and the celebration and we get back into our worry and our everyday stress and the things that are happening and the things that we don't understand... You can put your little fish in your Bible and you can look at your worries and you can say, but Jesus has breakfast for me. How many people can say, yeah, I was out fishing the other night and Jesus fixed breakfast. We read it and we're like, oh, that's cool. And we, we gloss over the fact that Jesus was taking care of their personal needs. He appeared out of nowhere and he took care of breakfast and Jesus is fixing breakfast for you. All right, I need all my helpers to come back, and I have a take home. A happy Easter. I'm not Jesus, and I'm not cooking any breakfast. But we have fish for everybody. To take home, everybody take at least two. I should have thought this through a little better. Let me see. Here, Dinah. And everybody at least take two fish. And know that Jesus is going to make you breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh, here's another one. It's going to cost you something. But it won't cost you breakfast. So I want you to take your sweetest fish home. And I want you to think about the fact... That no matter what Jesus asks you to do, he's your provider. Everybody can take at least two. There's probably more. And if you are a super lover of Swedish Fish, you can come up after church and grab some because I'm not a super lover of Swedish Fish. So, that's really all I have. I just want you to know that the king of all of the universe is taking care of you. So that's it. I don't have an altar call, just Swedish fish. So y'all eat your fish and I hope you have a great Easter evening and celebrate the resurrection of the King who is also cooking you breakfast.